We'll be right back after this. I've actually been using today's sponsor for over three years and love them. And that company is Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear me say Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you might think, what's the catch? But the cool part is that there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They don't have retail stores or salespeople, which cost a lot of money. Instead, they deliver premium phone plans directly to you. Say goodbye to your multi-hundred dollar phone bill per month and start using Mint Mobile where plans start as low as 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash fyshow. That's mintmobile.com slash fyshow. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash fyshow. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Now back to the show. All right, so I'll make sure all of our listeners, Mike, can get your address so they can go raid that shed in the back with all the, the all the stocked up goods here that, that all you're the, buying. All the, all the Costco boxes on our front door yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Fi Show where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Financial Independence Show, where today we have on the king of passive income with vending machines, Mike Hoffman. But before we get into his story, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. It's been a lot of just little back-to-back trips. I went to Denver and went down to kind of southern Colorado and went hiking. And then when I was leaving Colorado after a few days going to idaho for a little music festival actually ended up having to drive through one of the craziest storms i've ever seen like with the hail and the rain my flight was supposed to take off at like 11 p.m keeps getting kicked down the road ends up getting canceled Um, and i need to fly to salt lake city so i can get to this music festival in idaho and meet my buddies so i had to rebook a flight the flight that they were going to put me on with frontier wasn't going to be until the next night at 11 p.m so i had to just you know, scramble and book a Southwest flight. I had to get a hotel, all that sort of stuff. We'll let the listeners know. I'm hoping the credit card protection kind of stuff, you know, when you have trip delays, I'm hoping that works because if it does, then that'll that'll pay for the hotel and the, the extra Ubers that I had to have. But yeah, I did the three-day music festival in Idaho. Then went to Yellowstone and Grand Tetons, which are just gorgeous. Like if you're ever going out to Yellowstone, definitely save a little bit of time to get down to the Tetons. I think it's one of the most picturesque places in America and it's a small park. So it takes no time to really get to see some awesome things and then continued the road trip on to Denver. And I'll be going to the great sand dunes and Paldero Canyon before eventually making it back to Austin this Saturday. And just so you listeners can fully appreciate Justin and how awesome he is for you guys. He is, he parked on the side of the road, Justin, you got your sunglasses on. You get the sun is out. You're in a car <laughs> using your hotspot. Downtown Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> that is dedication. It looks like the hiking has been awesome, man. For me, had a pretty busy week and weekend. So on Saturday, we had a friend's wedding reception. They had it at this boathouse in like a few towns over. So it was like everyone from my hometown is a big crew. A lot of fun. He has a house on that same lake that the boathouse is at. So we went there and had like a little after party. Then the next day, as if that wasn't wild enough and definitely ate and drank a bit too much. 
The next day, we had a birthday party for one of our friends. We threw like a surprise birthday party. Our friend has a pool. So they hosted, again, a bunch of food and drinks. It was a lot of fun. And then later that night, we went to a Don Tolliver concert, who's like this kind of like Post Malone, kind of like The weekend, that style of music. And we ended up getting home at like 1 a.m. And man, we needed to sleep in on Monday. It was just like a long, long weekend. And now this week, we're actually officially finally moving into the lake house. Longtime listeners will know I have this like little cottage on a lake in central Massachusetts, but it's a one season home. <laughs> you can't really live in it outside of summer because it's not very well insulated. There's no heat. And so it doesn't get very fun when it's like 50s or 40s at night. <laughs> Moving into there this week, and that's kind of like the official start of summer for us is when we finally move into the lake house. So a lot of moving parts, but all good moving parts. And speaking of moving parts, let's talk about the vending machine man himself, Mike Hoffman. So this is an episode I took a lot of notes, Justin. I know you were asking a bunch of good questions too. And this is one that it wasn't really a side hustle that I had thought about too, too much. But once Mike kind of laid out the strategies he was using, This is one of those side hustles that you can start to make like a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks, depending on how crazy you want to get with it. And pretty passive income once you build up the systems month over month. And he said this is his most consistent passive income stream. And this guy has like Airbnbs. And I know he was doing some online digital stuff. He has like a bunch of different income streams. Vending is his thing. He's fallen in love with vending. I think he mentioned monthly vending revenue in this episode. And it blew my mind. And the fact that it's so consistent, the fact that he's doing this month over month, it is plenty for the average person's retirement. I'll just say that. I'll let, I won't spoil the numbers. I'll let you get into that in the show. Yeah, Cody, vending machines are actually something I've always been like kind of interested in and thought about, but I've never gotten just deep enough into it. And this episode is great because we really get tactical and walk through exactly you know, what you need to get one of these things going. I also think it's one of those businesses that are kind of just like neglected, both from people not thinking about it enough to to go after it and also like you know, we've all probably had a bad experience with the vending machine. I think a lot of them are just not ran very well. So it could be a very surprising thing where, yeah, just because a place has a vending machine doesn't mean that they might not be open to swapping and, and running a contract with you versus the person that they, they have now because the person just isn't doing a very good job or doesn't have some of the newer machines. And, you know, when Mike talks about being able to get some of these awesome, like new machines with zero money down, he also gets into some of the things that are beyond just your typical vending machine, some of these little mini markets, but definitely a lot of interesting content in the episode and another cool way for passive income that a lot of people just don't think about. We definitely tried to cover all the tactical things you would need in this episode, but there is a lot that's going on in vending. And so if you want to be able to reach out to Mike, follow along with more of what he's got going on and see some of the testimonials from the people that he's working with on vending you can do all that and share this episode at thefyshow.com slash vending. That's thefyshow.com slash V-E-N-D-I-N-G. Take it away, Mike. I was a collegiate strength conditioning coach and working 60 hours a week, training athletes is the norm in that roles and responsibilities for that job. And I think one Sunday afternoon, because you're working seven days a week, especially in season, I had like an aha moment of like, what am I doing? Literally working 60 hour weeks, making $1,200 a month as a GA, graduate assistant coach. Because if you broke that down, I mean, that's what, two to $3 an hour. So I had that aha moment of like, I am not doing this till I'm 65 or I'm never going to be able to get married or have a family. So that's when I had my first aha moment and started kind of down this passive income 
journey and really starting to do some research on some cash flowing rentals back in the Midwest where I was coaching. And what was the first time you actually kind of took action towards that where it went from, you know, realizing that you needed to make some passive income or make more income than the $1,200 a month to taking some action? Yeah. So kind of the first action was just doing some research on properties at the time. This is back in St. Louis, a, a big jobs location, obviously, where you could get these rentals for, you know, I was doing the most basic formula of, okay, if I bought a house for $100,000, can I rent it for a thousand bucks? Like the classic 1% rule. And so I actually found my first rental, Justin, for $70,000 and rented it literally for 975 bucks. <laughs> classic 20% down 14k I was lucky to kind of parlay that with a 1031 but that was literally it was that 14k down payment on a 70k home in St. Louis that kind of kickstarted everything so I do want to rewind a little bit just to try to get a bigger picture here so can we just get like a timestamp on yeah. age when you were making you know, $1200 as a GA like that seems like a really difficult amount to live on first of all so were you just like the king of frugality and yeah, I just want to kind of hear the personal side of the story and what was going on yeah, so we were definitely house hacking with other coaches. I mean, GA stands for graduate assistant. So it's like that next step after college where you want to break into the coaching community, but they can't really pay you a full-time salary. So I started getting an MBA on the side because I was tired of learning about sarcomeres and anatomy and that as like an exercise science coaching component. Yeah, I was making $1,200. I think I was age 24. This was probably, shoot, I don't not even 20, probably 22. This was probably 2011 when I did that. And then I think I got my first rental that following year. And that's kind of what parlayed my portfolio of, of passive income streams. And once you started to see that, did that change what you thought you would do with your career? Like you're a strength and conditioning coach. Did you see that that was like what you really wanted to keep doing? Or did this thing out there where you started to take action on it, you started to see the passive income, did that completely change where you thought things were? Yeah, absolutely. It definitely changed my mindset on like time versus money, obviously. But I think where it really parlayed, which is farther down my career, was actually when my wife got pregnant. And that's what sparked me getting into vending three years ago. But I think at that time, it really kind of sparked the whole because coaching is a very volatile career. A lot of times, if the head football coach gets fired, you get fired. So on wins and losses, which people could, you know, do you deserve to get fired? But yeah, you do because you're connected to the head coach. So I think the volatility of that is where I started to change. Like, okay, I need to hedge my bets here and get some other income streams at the time. And I don't want to work 60 hours a week till I'm 65. <laughs> so you were still working in the strength and conditioning space though, right? It wasn't like you just jump ship. You were this GA making 1200 a month. And you're like, you know what? I'm going all in on real estate. And I'm just going to kind of ditch this strength and conditioning stuff. You were still doing that as well to front the cost of the down yeah. payments and all that stuff, right? Exactly. Hedge my bets. Yeah. Ultimately try to build this asset portfolio, leveraging some of the paychecks alongside that. All right. So you start going down this real estate path. Like how many rentals did you acquire? Did you just get one year after year after year? I know you mentioned you, you got the down payment from that first one, assuming from that strength and conditioning job, like, how long did you kind of stay on that real estate path before you started exploring other forms of passive income? I think I got one and then like two years later, I got a second one. And then when we moved out to the West Coast, I actually 1031 one of the homes into a short-term rental out here in the Pacific Northwest. 
and then 1031 that into a different rental down in Florida. So it was just kind of a progression of kind of building equity as we kind of evolved and moved through the career journey as well. So when did that transform into other forms of passive income beyond real estate? So it sounds like you did long-term rentals, then you kind of got into the short-term rental game, but we're going to be talking a lot about vending machines today. Was there anything else in between that? Like what kind of opened your eyes to other forms of passive income? Yeah. So I think probably right before I got into vending, you know, that was back in COVID, pre-COVID when like all the e-com stuff blew up and I knew I wanted to do something in that space uh, without running it myself. So I hired a third party to run my FBA store and that does, you know, 10 to 18% returns consistently every month in profit. And then I do Bitcoin mining. So I have a third party that runs that out of some Bitcoin mining facilities outside of Philadelphia. I think my hash rate comes out to be around $500 in in Bitcoin every month, whatever, you know, the Bitcoin price is. But I'm just having that sent straight to my wallet. And then I'm doing some affiliate marketing stuff and, and with my newsletter. And then I think most recently writing a couple books around just vending passive income streams starting with nothing, that whole kind of mindset. So you're like me, you're a dabbler. <laughs> it sounds like you are not afraid to try OG yeah. passive income streams. So, yeah. Okay, you're doing all of that stuff. What interests you? What gets you started with vending? What's the attraction of vending? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think, Cody, what was actually the trigger to get me into vending, most people won't believe this, is finding out my wife was pregnant with our first kid. Literally, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, what do you do as a dad and no experience? So it was a really exciting endeavor for our family. And we're big into kids not changing our lifestyle and our schedules. And so that's what got me into vending. And I literally didn't know anything about vending going into my first meeting with these property managers, acted like I knew what I was doing. And before you know it, they're asking me to order vending machines. And then I had to go to Dr. Google and figure it out. So these are just property managers that were already managing your properties, like your short-term rentals, or who are these people? We live in a college town up here in Oregon, a couple high rises close to campus. I was like, okay, with vending, you want a lot of foot traffic, you want a lot of eyeballs and still traveling a lot for my VP job out of Palo Alto. So I was going through airports and looking at these vending machines, being on the road all the time. And so I, I just reached out to a couple of these high-end apartment complexes next to campus and they took meetings. With me, I didn't even have a business name or an LLC for this vending business set up yet. Just kind of went in there acting like I knew what I was doing. And they left those meetings with me wanting to order machines. And so you had already decided at that point that vending machines were a good side hustle. I guess, what was the intro to that? Because I know you mentioned you talked to those property managers for those high rises, but you must have had like an inkling that this was going to be a profitable venture before you went and started those conversations. Yeah, I think I read a couple articles. This was back in COVID around if you've followed Warren Buffett at all, like his first investment was building a vending route when he was 18 years old. And he actually sold it when he was 19 for a 1.5 multiplier. And it's like his number one regret with investing was getting rid of that route. And so when I read some of his books and stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, this is literally no capital needed. I didn't need another 15K to buy a tiny house in the Midwest. I literally, uh, these days you can finance machines at, at no money down. So it was just such an easy way to get started. Plus 
the last three years with COVID and everything that's happened, it's the most consistent passive income stream I have. Like I can tell you within a hundred bucks every month of what my total passive income will be from my 11 machines versus like Airbnb rentals. It's like, oh, 4th of July or, you know, dead time in the fall. With this, it's so predictable. It's boring. <laughs> boring is good. Boring works. All right. So I have yep. so many questions about this. So let's talk about the first piece of this, I guess, which is finding a location. I know you had these high rises next to you. People may or may not have high rises near them, but like what are good locations? What are bad locations? And how do you start those conversations with the right people? Yeah, great question. So the, the first thing you want to do is you want to break it up into two pieces, either high employee businesses. So unless you're in the middle of nowhere, Western Nebraska, you're going to have high employee businesses. So if you're in, let's just say Omaha, for example, that could be a lot of manufacturing, industrial, airports, any of those. And then high traffic locations, which are going to be a lot of your apartments, hospitals, senior citizen homes. And then and then it's just literally scraping the internet. You want to get to the front desk receptionist, to the property management group. And then once you get those meetings, what you start to find out is a lot of these decision makers actually manage multiple properties in their portfolio. So then you can start doing rev splits and things where it incentivizes them to bring you in at scale. And then you can give them a cut of your margins at scale as well, because now you're going to be ordering inventory at scale. So it's a win-win for everybody. Okay. So you answered part of my next question, which was, what's the incentive for them to say yes? It sounds like some of these big operators, they're okay with doing a rev share. And maybe we can dive into that and what percentages look like. But other times, are you like leasing, uh, you know, you're leasing the front hallway, or sometimes it's just goodwill be like, yeah, I have this vending machine and it'll make your people happy. Like, what do most of those conversations look like? I know it's probably not all the time going to be with these big operators who are going to set up this like rev share thing. If you look at an apartment or a senior citizen home, even if it's not a high rise, even if it's two levels, but multiple buildings, a lot of them all have a clubhouse or a centralized place where all the Amazon packages get unloaded, where there's a fitness center or where they go to pay rent. So those high traffic-y central points you pull into. But at the end of the day, what you're providing to them is an amenity. And we always provide new or machines that are less than a year old. So the locations we're targeting, their number one concern is they don't want to lower their rental rates. And as you know, with like commercial real estate in today's economy and everything in the news, with those concerns, they're trying to maintain that premium of what they're charging for rent. So we don't even lead with revenue share. In fact, a lot of these property managers don't even care. I have 11 locations right now, just my own route, and only three of them have asked ever about commission. Not to mention commission for vending market rate is eight to 10%. I've gotten away with 2% because I literally just say, inflation, do you want us to charge more in the machine or do you want your customers to be happy? And guess what they pick? Customers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So then let's say you decide to do this and now you want to go and look for a machine. I know you mentioned that there's some options where you get 0% down, like you can get 0% down on a $4,000 machine. Is there like specific models you recommend or companies you recommend? It sounds like maybe buying a used one off Facebook marketplace isn't the way to go if you can get this 0% down financing. Just wondering what the do's and don'ts of buying are. It's just like real estate. And, you know, the cheaper the machine, the questions you start to ask around like what's under the hood, right? And so 
for me, my first machine I got for $2,500 off Craigslist. And I was like, this is a screaming deal. This is two grand cheaper than a new machine. So I pulled the trigger and they even delivered it. Well, six months after this machine got installed, it stopped working. And now I was left out to dry. Like, I don't know anything about how these machines work. I don't want to be a machine manufacturer expert at all. So I had to pull that machine out. Now I get only new machines or less than a year old, what they call refurbished. And I'm just doing the math in my head. I think I just bought three machines, 16K. I think they're around 5,500 to 6K a new machine. No money down. The best part is you literally, your first monthly payment. So if you take a 5K machine, spread it out over 48 months, you're looking at about $150 a month in, is your payment on this you know, machine mortgage. And the great thing is there's no money down for the first 90 days. So I'll do 90 days of sales on this machine. So let's say the machine does a thousand bucks a month. I'll do three grand. My margins are 55, 60%. I'll have 2K of that, that I can put down on the principle of the machine, or I could just, you know, like you can be as aggressive as you want to be with paying these machines off and you're not required to do any down payment at all. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Wow. Okay. You ordered 16K worth of machines with no money down. Is that like straight from the manufacturer? They have some kind of a financing deals? Okay. Because I have so many machines with them now. I don't even like no credit check, 16K. And all these machine manufacturers, they're the equivalent of a car dealer. Okay. When you're ready to find the machine you want, they're they're like, okay, do you want to pay for it or do you want to finance it? If you say finance it, they're going to enter you to their financing arm. And are there some models that are better than others? Are there certain things with the machines that are like must-haves versus must-not? Like, I'm just thinking if you only accept cash, like you're probably leaving a bunch of money on the table. Like I never have cash with me. So the only time I'm ever using a vending machine is when they have like tap to pay. It's so much easier. Yeah, tap to pay. I think just to start, you never want to do a snack only machine. Okay. At the very least, you want to do a drink only because snacks have a shelf life. Like chips, I think is 90 days. So you never want to do that. I like with my vendingpreneur community to recommend a combo machine. So rather than buying a 5K snack machine and a 5K drink machine, do a combo machine for 5K. So you're hedging your bets. And then if it's a great location that's selling out all the time, then you can parlay that into another machine, but don't start big and then be SOL. So I recommend a combo machine holds nine to 15 types of drinks and then still holds 30 plus snacks. And then you definitely want a credit card reader. 
That's 70% of your sales. The other thing with credit card readers, that's a huge differentiator in the market is you can track inventory from your phone. Mm -hmm. So if you're traveling the world like you do, you literally can wake up, look at the app and see how many sales you did last night. And the other cool thing with that is that'll also track inventory and be such a game changer. When we get our vendingpreneur community locations, a lot of these places already have vending machines. But guess what? These old school operators, if you think of you know people my dad's age in their 70s that don't even know how to use an iPhone, the only way they can track inventory is by driving by the machine and taking a picture of it. And so we just installed a new machine. Part of that 16K order is with a Super 8. They already had a vending machine, Cody, that hadn't been stocked in 60 days. <laughs> that was my next question. When it comes to stocking, what do you stock it with? What's the frequency? We can obviously go down a huge rabbit hole here. But again, are there like do's and don'ts of stocking? Are there certain types of snacks or certain snacks or certain drinks that you always put in your machines that you stay away from? I'm sure profit margins is a huge consideration. Obviously, people's likes and wants are a huge consideration. So like, how do you know the right things to put in your machine? Yeah. I mean, the first thing is it's trial and error. If you have a senior citizen home, that's a bunch of 55 plus, you know, they're going to love their Arizona green teas and, you know, Twinkies, but they're not going to touch a monster. <laughs> yeah. And then if you, ha- if you have your college apartment, they're going to love their Celsius energy drinks and pay $4 for a can that you're getting delivered for free from Costco for $1.30. So you're already over you know, 60, 70% margins on that Celsius. But where we've really doubled down is things that don't have a shelf life. So those chips that have 90 day shelf lives, we've actually removed them from our inventory. And we've gone down the route of, if you go to a movie theater and you have these big boxes of candy, you think of like Sour Patch Kids, we get these boxes of five ounce Sour Patch Kids from Amazon Prime delivered free, a dollar a box, and we sell those for $4. Wow. And you don't have to worry about a shelf life of a bag of chips. We, we get Pop-Tarts from Costco for 24 cents. We sell them for $1.50. And it sounds like a lot of these are on like auto renewal or at least they're easy to like one click ship for free from like Costco. I know you just mentioned Amazon. So you're not getting them all from one place. So like, how do you keep track of inventory and how do you make sure like the shipments are going to the right places? And I'm sure there's a lot of moving pieces when you have like a route with a bunch of machines. Yeah. So a lot of times you're going to keep your inventory in one location, whether that's, you know, one of my students is Venipreneur in Minneapolis. He has a basement that's literally just shelves of snacks. (laughs) I bought a landscaping shed from Costco, a little five foot by four foot landscaping shed that I put right inside the fence of our backyard. And that's where literally it's full of sodas and snacks to the brim. So you get them shipped to a centralized place. And then as far as you know, delivery, you're just tracking that inventory from your phone. So if we're going to an apartment, let's say down the road, or let's say we're going to the grocery store and we're driving by an apartment with a vending machine, you can literally throw the snacks in a bucket, throw that bucket in your trunk. It takes 30 minutes a week to stock a vending machine. So as you talk about time and leverage, you've got a machine doing 1100 bucks a month, takes you a half hour of work a week. Well, you start to get 11, 15, 20 of those, and it starts to parlay Uh, pretty good. And then if you're like me, I hire an operator for 20 bucks an hour. So it takes him four hours to do 11 machines every Monday. I was just, that was exactly where my brain was going. I'm like, you could definitely hire some like high school or college kid to go and fill these machines up. Like there's no, you know, if you have 50 machines, there's no way you're going to be going out and filling all 50 of those up by yourself. 
No, and the best part about it is it's just like a Uber driver or DoorDash is I don't care if it gets stocked in the morning because you're an early riser or at night because you're a, a night owl. Just it's got to be done once a week. You pick when you do it. Again, you're keeping track of the inventory. I know you said like 70% of the sales come in digitally so you can keep that inventory like on your phone. But then are you the one or is this like helper the one who's going and taking a picture and seeing oh, maybe there was a ton of cash sales because you know the the old folks home like they just had a crazy party and <laughs> all the Arizona iced teas are gone. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, there's no pictures. So okay. the great thing about the credit card reader is it's going to track your inventory of product. It's going to track sales and then it breaks it out by category. So credit card sales and cash sales. So oh, and cash sales. you don't even have, oh, nice. yeah, you don't even have to worry about if your operator is stealing the money because you know, by looking at your phone, how much money is in that card holder or the, sorry, that coin holder. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. And so is this operator, let's say 30% of the revenue you bring in is cash. You said it's 1100 a month. So like, is this someone that you just like hire off of TaskRabbit? Is this someone you trust? Cause it sounds like at the end of this route, they're going to have like maybe a, a thousand bucks or more in cash and you're expecting that them to deliver that to you. How does that work? Yeah, there's a couple ways you can do it. So I actually posted an, an ad on Craigslist because I live in a college town. So I knew I'd get a lot of students. So I, I got 40 applicants in 48 hours and I just literally outlined needs to be done once a week, four hours of work a week, morning at PM, doesn't matter. And then I interviewed these folks and I found a guy, he's like us, he's big into passive income. He works four days a week, but he's trying to get down to three days a week and do this instead for one of the days. And then after 90 days, he was killing it and so motivated to keep this thing stocked that I gave him 5% equity in the route because he was just truly now the route for me is passive. But the other side of this is when I started with him, he didn't touch the money at all. In fact, I was like, just leave the money in there. All you're doing is, is stocking snacks. He knew I could track the money on my phone. So if, you know, if things didn't line up, I just wouldn't pay him or what, you know, whatever worst case. But I just made that, made that clear up front of like, I'm tracking the cash in this machine from my phone. So if I go there to, let's say once a month, because it's, you know, if 30%, it's only $300 a month, you're really pulling in of cash. So I go by once a month and just pull all the, $1 bills do my little route on the way to the bank. And that's how I kind of took care of it. Okay. So Mike, can we kind of dig into just what's, what's pretending you have one machine. I want to just really, really dig into the numbers to give listeners an idea of what this could look like. I know you quoted some numbers before you said like 1100 a month. I don't know where that number came from. What's typical for a machine. You said $1,100 a month in revenue, I believe. So what does it cost? I know you're, you're doing weekly stocking. What does it cost for like all material when it's all said and done? You've already purchased the machine. Just talking stocking the machine costs. Yeah. So a simple budget for a machine, let's say it's easy math doing a thousand bucks a month. So you got typical cost of goods is 30%. So you're looking at $300 cost of goods. Let's say you finance the machine. And so you got a payment of... 120 bucks and you want to put an extra $30 down towards your principal. So let's say 150, your credit card reader is 999 a month because of the data it connects to Verizon and AT&T for you. So you don't need Wi-Fi no matter where the machine's at. So right there, you're at another 10 bucks. So you got $300 cost of goods. You got $150 in machine payments. That's 450 and you got $10 in credit card readers right there. You're at 460. Let's throw in liability insurance and you're all in 475 for expenses on a $1,000 a month machine. 
And when you say that it's like when your cost of goods are only like 30% of what you're selling, are you purchasing these goods through some kind of specific avenue or are you just going to like a normal store like everybody else and buying these things? There's definitely, you can buy it at bulk, right? Like there's the big food distributors, but 99% of our vendingpreneur community and me personally, we just like, I use Amazon Prime and Costco.com. Costco has free 48 hour delivery. So I, I literally place my order on repeat on Fridays. It shows up on Sunday. My operator comes by Monday to stock and it's just like an automated system. There will be some times on Amazon where they're doing deals. Like right now they're selling these 36 packs of Hershey's for like 25 bucks. So they're, you know, 70 cents a Hershey's. So yeah, we'll buy bulk at random times when there's sales, but it's all on autopilot. And if people don't have Costco, like I have a student down in San Diego, he uses Sam's Club. I don't have Sam's here in Oregon. So that's typically the two main providers of of our inventory. All right. So I'll make sure all of our listeners, Mike, can get your address so they can go raid that shed in the back with all the, the all the stocked up goods here. That, that <laughs> all, the, you're buying. All, the, all the Costco boxes on our all front door yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually saw you post, I think it was on Twitter. And I know when I'm thinking of a vending machine, usually it's like drinks and snacks. But there was an interesting, like different type of vending machine that you posted recently. And I was wondering if you could kind of dive into maybe some alternative vending machines. I'm not sure of the exact language, like what you use there, but it was a, it was a pretty interesting one. The evolution of vending is just getting started. Like nowadays, there's these uh, cold brew vending machines, there's these pizza machines, there's like I have a location in Tampa that wants an ice cream machine which is a whole different game. But I think the the coolest, most potentially pushing the needle is going to be micro markets in the near term. So you think of these break rooms at any business, like literally teacher's lounge or anything is unattended retail. And you think of, you know, Cody, you and Justin going through the airports these days. Now they have these snack shelves where you don't even talk to anyone. It's just a self-checkout with a couple cameras and you just grab your bag of chips and your Dr. Pepper out of the cooler. You, It's like a self-checkout at a grocery store. Well, those we're putting in at these apartment complexes now, and they're doing 4X the sales of a vending machine. Wow. Or just ordered it with one of my vendingpreneurs in Denver, 500 residents, and they're 5 to 8K a month in revenue projection. <laughs> and with these little markets, I can imagine the first like hesitation somebody would have is everything's just out there in the open. It's not like the yeah, vending machine theft. where at least it's kind of protected behind. So yeah, theft. So I don't know if you've been running one of these long enough to kind of see if it's just a, a false fear or if it is something really to... Like with the ROI sheets and budgets of some of the micro markets I've dealt with, we factor in about 5% of theft. So you're taking, you know, right off the top, you're adding another 5% of expenses. But I will say a lot of these micro markets... And it's probably hard to visualize here. I can send you guys a picture, but like a lot of them have these big TVs right above the cooler. So it's like you're on camera. You know, it's like when you go into the Marriott and they have the little snack option next to the check in area and it's like you're on camera. So that does a really good job. These micro markets, when you build the shelves and the coolers, it comes with four cameras and it shows you on camera while you're picking your bag of chips. So I think that's probably what prevents theft the most. I mean, if I'm going into a maybe a class C or rough neighborhood of a, an area, I, I wouldn't lead with a micro market. But when we're talking luxury apartments, break rooms of all these, we're just starting with a 
rehab facility and they're going to subsidize all the snacks. So they're going to pay for all the snacks for the employees. So when you start talking about places like that, that's what that really drives that revenue up. And people just love unattended retail. Like you guys go to the grocery store, you're going to pick self-checkout over talking to someone any day of the week. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Actually, a question that I meant to ask earlier that's just coming back to me now is, is there like a minimum required foot traffic? Because I can imagine, Mike, you're not going and like hitting up an office that has eight people working in it and it's like close to the public. There's just eight people that ever walk by this machine that have the potential to buy your stuff. Like for me, that doesn't seem like it would make any sense. Is there like a minimum foot traffic threshold? Yeah. So we, on our, what we call like our revenue calculator, we factor in, we want 150 units or more. And keep in mind, that's units. So a lot of these will have two to three bedrooms. So 150 units, probably 300-ish people live in there. And then if we talk about a business, Cody, we want to see 100 employees or more. That's just like, I'm, I'm very big on, I want one location doing a thousand bucks, then five Jiffy Lubes doing 200. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. It's just yeah. time over money any day of the week. And so with the card reader machines, which sounds like it's like, you got to go card reader. You can't just have a cash accepting machine. It's just, this isn't 1975 anymore. How do these hook up to your bank account? Is there like some kind of special software that you need? Like how does the money actually get from, you know, that person's card who chips or taps or whatever to get that snack or drink into your bank account? Yeah. So a lot of these card readers are actually software companies by trade. So for example, for my card readers, every Friday, it's a direct deposit right into the, the business account, which makes it super convenient. Yeah, that's the definition of passive income, right? And is it like, are you getting paid daily? Are you getting paid weekly? Are you getting paid monthly? How often do these paychecks come in? Yeah, every Friday. So weekly, but you can, in the app from your phone, you can track daily sales. You can kind of get an idea of, like for us, we want to make sure all of our drinks are stocked around Thursday or Friday because that's a lot of like chasers and things going into the weekend. So you can also get an idea um, during the week of inventory, and just stay out of it. One other question that's coming to mind now that I'm like thinking about the logistics and like I'm picturing myself doing this is how does the machine get to the location? Is the vending machine manufacturer coming and bringing it to the, you know, the high rise or are they bring it to the senior citizen center or is, are you responsible for that? And you got to get like a U-Haul or get your buddy's truck or something like that. Yeah. You're not going to be able to use a dolly with a vending <laughs> yeah, machine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you do it right, let's say you get a location that's like, Hey, Cody, we're ready to move forward. When you order that machine, you'll put the delivery address as the location and not your home address or whatever. Okay. And obviously you got to have some kind of um, get like a written contract. So you're not just getting like a verbal agreement and then just getting this thing delivered. Then they're like, you know what? We don't really want this vending machine in there. So is, I'm guessing that's an important part of the process is getting them to sign something. Yeah. And it's not even the contract because every service contract typically has 30 day out, like your cleaning business or your vending service or whatever is going to have a 30 day out. Where the contract really comes into play is when you want to sell your route for a two to three X multiplier, you'll notice that vending routes that are being sold, the ones that have contracts and, and can prove their revenue literally are selling for a, a way higher multiplier. And that's where I think you got to Vending is such an asset that's untapped. Like people want to talk about the $500 extra a month, but if you get a location, like I have one location, three grand a month in revenue. So 50%, we're doing $1,500 a profit. But to take that a step further, that three grand a month contract, that's 36K a year in revenue. If I sold that for a two and a half X multiplier, that's $75,000 asset. 
And then when you're actually looking at getting your vending machine into a place, is there like a typical, okay, this is a one-year lease, a six-month lease? Like like Cody was saying, you'd hate to get all this lined up, you get the vending machine there, and then all of a sudden they change their mind. Yeah. So our standard agreements are three years. If I have a property manager that's like all in and and kind of young and innovative, like the three of us on this call, I, I think I have three locations that have five-year agreements. Okay. Five-year agreements. That's, yeah, that's solid. Yeah. Predictable revenue. Yep. And to kind of bring this thing full circle, because we have a very numbers focused audience, we like to call ourselves money nerds. It sounds like $1,000 a month for a machine isn't that crazy, isn't that outlandish, as long as you're hitting those foot traffic thresholds that you mentioned, like 100 people or 150 residents, or flip-flopped, I wasn't sure exactly which one, there's 150 residents, 100 people in the business, and then you're, it's like 50% profit margin, so that's $500 in the machine. If you get like eight of these machines, you're looking at $4,000 a month and pretty passive income. I mean, like you said, it's like 30 minutes a week to restock, and at some point, you can start to outsource that. So it seems like this is a something that could pretty quickly cover your expenses and or replace your day job income if you get enough of these things. Yeah. Well, and then you start to factor in micro markets and those are, we're seeing do 4X a machine. So now you're talking four grand a month and 2K in profit. So absolutely, I think the vending, you start with five locations doing a thousand bucks right away. You're already at two grand and you feel comfortable and you want to parlay that in a, a micro market and you're at another 2k and i have one of our vending preneurs started in january he's up to 15 locations and i talked to him last week because he literally has four daughters he's already sees a path to fund them through college 100 grand a year well he's telling me he sees a path to 100 machines in the next 12 to 24 months so, I mean, it definitely sounds like a great avenue for income. I think the hardest part for me is like canvassing and figuring out where you want to put these things. So like when you're looking and thinking about your town, is there a like a go-to strategy of a punch list of like, look at these specific type of businesses and locations to help people like kind of brainstorm of where they could put these things? Yeah. So the hardest part with getting a vending route started is finding locations, hands down. Finding machines, all of that is easy. Learning how to stock them, easy. Finding locations is the hardest part. And Justin, we we use two criteria. You Anyone could do this. You literally Google apartments that have 150 plus units and then businesses in your town that have 100 plus employees. So you could literally Google, you know, biggest businesses in your town, right there on Google ads, scrape every single one of them, start calling into these front desk ladies and asking for an intro to the person that oversees vending. And then, I mean, that's how I built my route. And these people would take my meetings and then they're like, we're ready to buy vending machines. And then I'm thinking in my head, oh crap, I got to go find out where to find these vending machines. So absolutely anyone could do it. And the great thing is with no money down, you're literally getting started with $500, a $300 credit card reader and $200 of inventory to stock the machine. And you're already making money. I think owning vending machines is an awesome passive income route, but I don't want this to just sound like an OxyClean commercial where it's just like 20 features (laughs) about why this is the best thing ever. What are the biggest risks to this strategy? Is it like not getting enough foot traffic and then you can't make the monthly payments of the machine or somehow you get screwed out of a contract or just like there must be some type of risk associated with the side hustle. Yeah. So the biggest risks are finding a bad location. Mm. Everyone wants to get to a yes when they have a meeting, when in reality you, you are interviewing them 
you're not selling them. So you need to really start to, okay, you have 100 employees, but they're scattered across 10 buildings. So they're never going to come to one centralized vending machine. Like you want to talk about foot traffic. You also need like those qualifying questions to make sure you're doing sales. And then I think the other side of this too, is to start the the vending route for me, it wasn't passive. Like I wanted to learn it before I delegated it. So I needed to learn how to set prices, how to stock the machines, all things there are YouTube videos on, but there's still a time component of that. And then the third thing is when that machine breaks down, you're still on call. Now, the great thing about a vending machine is it's not like a rental property where the plumbing starts leaking and you have to have someone over there tomorrow. At the end of the day, if you're out of Snickers, they're going to buy Twix. So <laughs> it's kind of that yin and yang, but there's definitely those risks associated with it. And when you're interviewing the people who are kind of like over the vending for that building, are there some red flags that people should be looking out for or some like really important questions that I think most people would try to think about understanding foot traffic and maybe some basic questions, but are there some other questions that you think people should ask or red flags they should look for? Yeah, I think the first red flag is, are people going to go straight to commission? Like if someone's bringing you in for commission, then at the end of the day, a thousand bucks a month, if you give them 10% of that, that hundred dollars is enough money to buy toilet paper for the lobby. It's not going to push the needle for an apartment complex. So it's more of like the personalities of the property manager. Are they just trying to negotiate with you because they feel like they have all the leverage or is it actually a true partnership where you get in the snack machine, combo machine, then you add, like for me, I add value. So I start with the combo machine, bring in the cold brew machine. Now, okay, it's doing a lot of revenue. Let's add a micro market. Like you start to upsell the same decision maker. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Mike, you have brought a lot of value today. And I think a lot of folks are going to be really interested in becoming vending printers. I know you have like a whole community. You're putting a ton of content out. I love following you on Twitter and seeing what you're doing and what your students are doing. For those who do want to go take the next step or learn more about this, learn more about you, where is the best place or places for them to do that? I mean, before that, Cody and Justin, thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed following your guys' show. Humbled honored that you wanted us to kind of come on and share a little bit about vending. I think the easiest place is my Twitter. It's the handles, I think, Mr. Passive underscore. So super simple. And then, you know, I do have a website with a link to my private calendar. It's just mrpassive.com if anyone's curious about kind of diving into any of the numbers, risks, upside of vending as a whole. Well, Mike, like Cody said, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has definitely piqued my interest in vending machines. So I'm very interested in this and learning more. And I think it's going to be a cool avenue for a lot of our guests to listen to. This may be an easier market to step into than something like buying a rental property. So I appreciate it, Mike. Likewise, Justin. Thank you. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way, every Wednesday, you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today.
That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.